Man, what an amazing truth. And as we kind of shift our attention towards the Lord and towards the summer on the mount, um, man, it's been a great morning already. And as you are kind of settling in, ready for the word, I want to, I want to ask you a question as we get started here. Have you ever considered why Christianity is so important? Have you ever considered why you take this ancient book and literally live your life by it? Why Christianity matters? I don't intend to get into all of that today, but I ask you that because one thing that I've come to the conclusion on, one reality in my life over a several decades of following Jesus is that if you don't have some kind of idea as to why you have a need for this, it's useless. If, if you don't have an idea as to why you need to be rescued by the grace of God, this is useless. Let me say it to you in a, in a different way. Christianity makes for a terrible treadmill. Because God's law says be perfect because your heavenly father is perfect. How's that going? That's a terrible treadmill. However, Christianity, the real fact of Christianity is that Christianity is a terrible treadmill but it is great news about a great God. Amen? Isn't that an amazing thing this morning? As we kind of turn our attention back to the Sermon on the Mount and spend our summer here, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, now granted I say that a lot of weeks, but this time I mean it. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, and really a, a scripture that as several years ago we were talking about planting Redeemer City Church and you know, it just hit me in a fresh way in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 5. If you're watching on Church Online, there's a Bible tab. You can grab that. You can use the YouVersion Bible app and get to it. And so there's all kinds of ways for you to connect with this, to take notes and follow along in your Bible. But if you've got a good old-fashioned paper Bible, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. And what I want to just do a little bit of work on the text here and then challenge you with a couple things about God's law concerning salt and light. But look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Here's what scripture says. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its flavor, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on by people. You are the light of the world. A city located on a hill cannot be hidden. People do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven. Right off the bat here, you see these two concepts of salt and light. So if you're taking notes, go ahead and write down those two things, salt and light. And in this context here, salt is equated to taste. 
and light is equated to sight. So salt and taste, light and sight. Isn't it interesting that in this context, Jesus is literally preaching and teaching us that as followers of him, as followers of Jesus, we are literally to preserve the world, to bring flavor to the world. I think about it this way. It's like us being out in front telling a story of freedom and deliverance, a story of hope and peace and fullness in Christ. Shalom. We talk about it all the time. Shalom. A fullness. It's a counter-cultural relief. Salt. What about light as followers of Jesus via our witness in the world? Of deed and word and love. We literally bring sight to the world. Think about it. The scripture all over the place. And this might be a fun thing for you to study uh, with your kids or on your own this week. Is to just look at all the times in scripture that talk about darkness. That men love darkness rather than light. Talks about bringing your sin into the light. And so this is a thing that's all over the pages of Scripture. But as Christians, we are literally out in front providing sight for people. Standing in the gap, shining light on the path to Jesus, calling people to what Scripture calls the way. Salt and light pointing to Jesus, inviting anyone and everyone who might listen to you. But that sounds daunting, doesn't it? That sounds like a massive concept. That, that I would just get out in front of culture and just be inviting people, calling people, come to Jesus. Some of you, like that just makes you sweat. If you're an introvert, you're like, never going to happen, right? But, but I think we overdo that. I think we overplay that in our mind. What does Scripture call us to as far as being light? The Bible says in this particular text that, that we're a city set on a hill. We're located on a hill. That means people can see you without you doing anything. They can see you set on a hill. Pretty amazing. But I love this connection in Psalm 34. Because here's the question. What, what does that invitation look like? Do I need to like go to apologetic school? Do I need to like have some crazy uh, testimony or whatever it is that comes into your mind? I don't think it's that complicated. I love the connection here and the invitation that Psalm 34, 8 gives us and lays out. I love this. Listen to it. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the one who takes shelter in him. That's it. What does it look like to be salt and light in the world? What does it look like to get out in front and lead the way and make an invitation for people to come join you on the way, the narrow road that leads to life. It's not a promise that will offer you riches. It's not a promise that will offer you 
much of any security in this world other than the scripture says that God knows your needs and he'll take care of them. But beyond that, the invitation is Psalm 34, 8. It's to taste and see salt and light that the Lord is good and blessed, right? That's what Carl preached about last week. Blessed are all these different things in the Beatitudes. You can catch that on YouTube or the podcast from last week. And here's what it says. How blessed is the one who takes shelter or refuge in him. These things are all connected together. It's a beautiful promise that you right now can taste and see that God is good and be blessed by sheltering in him. Now, that's an amazing promise. But if you're anything like me, there's some distance between my desire to do that and experience that. There's some distance between my desire there and my lived out experience. There's some distance. There's some Romans chapter 7. I don't do the things that I want to do. I do do the things that I don't want to do. We all can identify with that. So there's, there's this distance between this reality that I can taste and see that the Lord is good and I have. And blessed are the ones who take shelter in him. There's some distance between my experience living that. You know, it reminded me, for the kids watching, of one of my favorite uh, Disney films growing up called Robin Hood. And uh, it's, a, it's a great one, I think. It's been like literally 25 years since I've watched it, so don't hold me to that. But there's this scene in Robin Hood where, where the king, the bad guy, uh, is shooting archery. And Robin Hood is there and the king has the target set up down the way and they're going to take target practice at the target. And there was some stakes on it and I don't want to get into all that. But what, what stuck out in my mind from this scene from when I was a kid is that the king put somebody inside the target and when he was shooting, the arrow would go to the target because the person inside the target would move to his arrow. And so he was always on target. But for Robin Hood or for whoever else, the target would move and they would not hit the target. And so it was it's just a, a silly part of the movie. But what it reminds us of is what Scripture defines sin as. You know, when we look at those things and we're doing the things we don't want to do, the Bible has a term for that. It's called sin. And sin simply means missing the mark. God created you and then has these expectations of you. And so sin is missing the mark, just like Robin Hood was missing the mark, right? But look back at our text and notice how Jesus addresses this thing about the law, this thing about sin with the listening crowd concerning the Pharisees, the guys who did have it all together according to culture's standard in that time. Look back at Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Here's what Jesus says. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law 
or the prophets. I've not come to abolish these things, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter will pass from the law until everything takes place. So anyone who breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever obeys them and teaches others to do so will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, here it is, this is God's law. For I tell you, unless your righteousness goes beyond that of the experts in the law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Powerful. Powerful statement by our Lord. If our righteousness does not exceed the guys who kept every iota of the law, we will never get into heaven. Just sit with that for a second. Hopefully you feel the weight of that statement, because I don't know about you, but this morning I've already messed that up. Chances are you have too, trying to get everybody to the couch, yelling at your kids or your wife or your husband. If you're single, your roommate, your dog, your cat, everybody yells at their cat. Think about that. Jesus says the law isn't going to go away, but that he's going to fulfill it. It's going to be accomplished. Very interesting. What's he saying? What he's doing here is he's laying out for you and I that there is a very specific purpose for his law. There's an intentional purpose in Christ that the law is made perfect and complete. So if the law is created for a purpose, just a quick side note, you were created for a purpose. There, there is a very specific thing that God has created you to do. It's not that you would do everything, but that you would do what he's called you to do. See, freedom is not you getting to do whatever you want. Real freedom in Christ is doing what you were created to do. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says, that you were created in Christ for good works. There's freedom in that. There's not freedom in doing whatever you want. There's slavery there. You know, we have this, this thing called growth track. I'd encourage you to jump into it. And step two is all about discovering your spiritual gift. Why did God wire you the way that he wired you? And how does that fit into the body of Christ? You play an integral role in being salt and light in the body of Christ in our city. Jump in that. Get that stuff figured out. But back to the law. Verse 20. Verse 20 delivers this daunting reality that unless we are living more rightly, unless we are doing more right than the Pharisees who spent their entire life down to their spice rack, Jesus tells us elsewhere. They brought their spices to the temple and tithed it. They were serious about this for the wrong reason, but they were serious. Why would Jesus spend time there? Why would Jesus say that? 
Because if you look at you know his other interactions with them, he clearly refutes them and rebukes them and calls them whitewashed tombs and all kinds of stuff. He calls them snakes. What is Jesus getting at here? It doesn't sound like good news, great God at this point. It sounds more like that treadmill I talked about at the beginning. So what is God saying through Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount here? To that crowd sitting on the hillside, listening to the words of Christ. What was happening? Jesus, I believe, said that because he wanted us to know. He wanted those people sitting there to know this truth. If you're taking notes, write it down. The law cannot deliver what it demands. The law cannot deliver what it demands. The law was created for a very specific purpose. And it cannot deliver what it demands. The law demands be perfect because your heavenly father is perfect. The law demands unless you live more righteously than the most righteous people in culture, according to their own eyes, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. How do you become better than a Pharisee? There's only one way. And it has nothing to do with you doing more or you trying harder or you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps or doing any of that. It has to do with your relationship to Jesus. Think about this. The intended purpose of God's law is not to save you. The purpose of the law is not to save you. It cannot deliver on that demand. The purpose of the law is to reveal you. I asked you a question at the beginning today. Why did Christianity matter to you? And I posed that unless you have some real understanding of your need for Christianity, of your need for Jesus, it would be useless to you. And this is why. The purpose of God's law is not to save you, it's to reveal you. It's for the law of God to be held up in front of you so that you are uh, not confused at all, so that you are crystal clear that there is nothing you can do to save yourselves unless you are more righteous than a Pharisee. You'll never see the kingdom of heaven. Unless you are perfect like your heavenly father is perfect, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. The purpose of God's law is not to save you. It's to reveal you. Now stick with me because that's not where the story ends. Once you have a sufficient view of yourself, once you understand that you can do nothing to save yourself, because you're not going to be more righteous than the Pharisees. It's just not going to happen. We're human. But here's the second half of that truth, the intended purpose of Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus coming to earth, the Holy Spirit taking residence in your life. The intended purpose of Emmanuel, God with us, is not to condemn you, but it's to save you. You see, what Jesus was communicating to those people is if you're going to do this on your own power, you'll have to be better than the Pharisees. And everyone sitting on that hill would be fully aware that that wasn't going to happen. I am not going to be that guy. Not going to be more righteous than the Pharisees. 
What Jesus was pointing them towards is a different way. A way of peace. A way to be made right with God. A way to be righteous in spite of yourself. And that can only be found in Jesus. Come on, church. Give Jesus some praise in your living room this morning. Because he is worthy. He is good. All who come to him find life in his name. They find flavor and purpose. They get a vision for life. You want to have a purpose for your life? It starts with Jesus. Jesus is our vision. Let me, let me ask you a question. Are you searching for meaning in life right now? If you're not a Christian, let, let me just invite you to come to Jesus today. You have nothing to lose. You have everything to gain. Christian, where have you wandered away from Jesus? Where in your heart is there still unbelief that Jesus needs to overcome in your life? You see, because once you know who you are and how short you fall of that standard of perfection that God's law being held up in front of you gives, it's at that point that Jesus can move in and say, even though you are not perfect, I have been perfect. And I've been perfect on your behalf. And if you'll surrender your life to Jesus, if you'll bow the knee, if you'll confess Jesus as Lord, even if you're a Christian, what's that secret place in your heart? What's that struggle with sin that you need to turn from? Where is it that you need God's law not to save you but to reveal you so that Jesus, the hound of heaven, can track you down and gloriously save you? I love the way James, Jesus' brother, puts it in James chapter 4, verse 8. He says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But there's a specific path for that. It's the path of repentance. Here's what James says. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Amazing. But how does that happen? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know, as I look around, even during this pandemic, we're a double-minded people, aren't we? Seeking to satisfy and gratify the desires of our flesh. And still have Jesus. And Jesus simply says, no, no, no. Draw near to me and cleanse your hands from your sin. Jesus went to the cross some 2,000 years ago so that you could put sin to death in your life. Not by your own power, but by his power. When Jesus hung on that cross, he said, it is finished, forever fixed in eternity is your relationship with God. The way to be more righteous than the Pharisees is to surrender your life to Jesus and allow him to clothe you before Almighty God. Salt and light. What are you offering to the world? How are you flavoring the world? With Jesus. I love the way Hebrews says it. This isn't on your screen, but... Just reminded of it as we close this morning where scripture says, fix your eyes on Jesus because he's the author of your faith. 
and the perfecter of your faith. The way to become right with God, the author of your faith, is to surrender to Jesus. The way to live out your purpose in Christ is to submit to him in good works, just like Ephesians 2.10 calls us to. So salt and light, what are we offering to the world? We're offering them Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less, because Jesus is all you need. Amen? Hey, let's pray together, and then we'll worship him. So let's pray. Father, you alone are worthy to be praised. As we think about these simple truths that you gave about salt and light to people so many years ago, sitting on a hillside in a Middle Eastern context, it's still true for us today that if we will surrender to you, if we'll allow you to hold up your word, your law in front of us as a mirror, that we might rightly see who we are, we'll be at the first step to experiencing life to the full that you promise. Shalom. Peace, fullness. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray in this moment, in the loudness or quietness of living rooms, on cell phones, on podcasts, on YouTube, that you would just transcend that and that you would speak to every heart that's listening. And that you would transform them. That they might look to you for their salvation, not to their own ability. Each one of us. That you might move in and begin to transform our lives and make us whole so that we can look with you and invite people to taste and see that you are God and you are good. And they will be blessed if they will shelter with you. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your strong name that we pray. Amen.